Blog Talk Radio. Hello, Nats Town. Welcome to Nats Nightly, sponsored by FederalBaseball.com. This is Patrick Reddington from Federal Baseball. I've got Dave Nichols from Federal Baseball on the line. After the Nationals dropped at 23-16 and 16 on the year with a 2-0 loss to the New York Mets in City Field. And, Dave, I don't want to say this was completely predictable, but I wrote three-quarters of my post-game story beforehand and got the narrative right. Max Scherzer started the night with 11 home runs allowed, most among qualified uh, NL starters. The Mets started the night fourth in the majors in home runs with 53 homers in 37 games. The effort took them 62 games to get to 53 home runs last year as a team. Max Scherzer gives up two solo blasts on the night, one of them on the first pitch of the game. That was actually enough for the Mets on a night when the offense couldn't do much of anything against Noah Syndergaard, but fairly predictable outcome here, unfortunately. You don't like it when those things work out that way. Well, you know, if you take if you take Scherzer's performance at a whole, uh, you know, two earned runs on three hits and three walks over six and a third with ten strikeouts, you know, I think anybody would take that. Obviously, you want to get another inning or so out of him. But, uh, um, you know, the, the predictable part for me tonight was him not going particularly deep, you know, after throwing 100 and 119 pitches or whatever it was in the 20 strikeout performance. Um, you know, it's good to see the Nets were careful with him tonight and didn't let him go, you know, much past what, what he did. But, um, you know, Scherzer has given up four runs in his last two games, all on solo home runs. And um, and this is the thing with Max Scherzer is that um, a, a lot like Jonathan Papelbon, actually, uh, his, flat, his fastball, um, doesn't have a whole lot of movement on it. So he has to be, when, he, when his control and his command are on, and he's hitting all four quadrants, um, he's able to limit the damage. But when, uh, especially early on tonight, when his command wasn't particularly good, um, you know, that's when, when he's susceptible to giving up home runs. And I think, um, you know, I think we've seen this year as a work in progress for him where he'll have a terrific outing and then have a so-so one and then have a dominant outing and then tonight, um, you know, have a good one, but not, you know, not what we, um, I guess, are, are accustomed to seeing from Scherzer. Obviously, giving up three hits and six and a third is pretty good, but giving up three walks and two solo home runs in that time frame uh, is not particularly good. Yeah, striking out 30 pitchers in his last 15 in the third innings on the mound is, however, pretty good. Uh, another dominant night. Other than those two home runs, unfortunately, there's a old one bad pitch cliche. This is two bad pitches. First pitch fastball to Granderson. Just ambushed him, jumped on it, and hit it out the right. Uh, Michael Conforto later in the game hits a 2-2 cutter out there. Uh, he's up to... 98 pitches in the seventh inning. Uh, yeah, I'm just double-checking myself. After he gives up a one-out single, uh, Dusty Baker said when he went out there to talk to him, he had his mind made up at that point that he was coming out. You mentioned he threw 119 last time. So they, uh, Dusty Baker said after that start they were going to be careful with him this time, not let him go too far. They let him go last time because he had a chance at setting a, or setting or tying a major league record. So you got to give a pitcher like that that opportunity. But you don't want to be – running them out there with 115, 120 pitches every start this early in the season. So a good decision there. There was, however, it looked like a little chat there on the mound. Dusty Baker did say afterwards, I mentioned that he had his mind made up when he went out there that that was it. So I know I was texting you at the time a little bit panicked, like, yeah, how long are they going to let him go here? But made the right decision there in my mind to get him out at that point. No, I think so too. And uh, um, you mentioned there's a high pitch count, um, uh, the walks tonight, 
um, it, it was the right decision to make. I mean, this is, um, you know, this, this is a very important to the Nets, uh, a very important part of the Nets franchise. Uh, he is signed long term. This is a guy that that, that they need to protect, and um, obviously, uh, you know, this is not, you know, it's not the playoffs today. I think if it were the playoffs, you probably could have seen uh, Scherzer talk Dusty into letting him go uh, for another batter or two to try to get out of the inning. But um, but this was a good move by Dusty Baker to, to give Scherzer the hook when he did, I think. Noah Syndergaard, as we mentioned, on the mound for the Mets, 1-0, 1-8-0 ERA, and three career starts versus Washington, 3-2, and 2-5-3 ERA, 2-2-1 FIP. 1.75 walks per nine, 10.68 Ks per nine, and 46 in the third innings pitch this season. Six Ks, 63 pitches through four innings tonight. Eight Ks and five scoreless, up to 10 and six, uh, 93 pitches overall. Just a dominant performance from him once again. Ends up going seven innings, five hits allowed, no runs, no walks, 10 Ks. I didn't check out the ground out to fly ball split, so I'll just scroll down quickly out of here as I stammer for time, 6-1, to one, ground out to fly out. It's just a dominant performance by this kid who shockingly is ending up with a talented team that had a lot of pitchers coming up. He's clearly one of the best, and uh, Toronto giving him away in that deal of all those years back is just makes that deal look worse and worse every time Every time he goes out there and dominates like he did tonight against the Nets. Yeah, you know, he's pretty good. Uh, you know, the, a couple of times uh, he put a 100-mile-an-hour fastball on the inside, black to left-handed hitters. He did it once to Harper and uh, did it once to Revere, I think, that just ties them up. I mean, if he hits a spot there, uh, it's just unhittable. A right-handed batter, you know, might be able to flip the bat on the end of it and, and flip it out into right field or foul it off or whatever. But um, but that 100 miles an hour on the black against left-handed hitting, uh, really there's nothing you can do about it. And, um, you know, he's up there and he, he'll, he'll throw a couple of different uh, – speed change-ups, he's got the hard one, and he's got a softer one, um, you know, he's just a really, the velocity is one thing, but he's, he's got a good idea about what he's doing up there, too, um, I, I could do, I could do without the long hair on the mound, but other than that, um, just a complete, just complete total package. I like what I saw from Ben Revere a little bit, especially on the one hit he got, an opposite field hit there, but still 106 on the year, uh, what do you think about the lineup movement, uh, bringing Jason Worth up to the two spot, dropping Anthony Rendon down to the sixth spot in the lineup tonight, if I'm counting correctly, yes. Uh, one for three for Rendon on the night, had a nice hit there. But Dusty Baker shaking it up a little bit before the game, basically said it was just a gut feeling that he had that he wanted to switch things up a little bit and try to get everyone going in the lineup that hasn't been going. Uh, is this sort of tinkering going to do anything, you think? Do you like Worth at the top of the lineup? I know we've discussed him when he's uh, doing what he's usually doing and is a high OBP kind of guy and taking a lot of pitches there. I kind of like him there. and He might see better pitches in front of Harper. I don't know if that's part of the thinking, but what, what do you think about Baker tinkering there a little bit? Well, it doesn't bother me because neither neither Worth nor Rendon um, are hitting for much right now, so it gives both of the guys a, a different look in, in the order. Um, you know, it, 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 you know, hitters get in their mindset when you know when they're when they're slotted into a certain spot in the order about what they're quote supposed to do. Um, I, I think a guy like like Rendon, it probably doesn't um, affect his approach that much. I think Worth. It's a guy that, that that it does affect, and I think he said it in the past that he changes his mindset on purpose depending on where he's hitting in the order. So, um, so yeah, maybe that that goes into Baker's thinking a little bit. Um, the bottom line with Revere is that 
you know, he's a career 300 hitter, and he's eventually going to get uh, more contact. He's going to put more balls in play. We saw him go the other way um, and get a single here in, in this game. Um, but, but the bottom line is, is that, uh, you know, he's had to go through spring training again um, after the injury, only doing it live when games count. I mean, he only got, you know, I don't know what it was, 20 or 30 at-bats when he was rehabbing. And, and there's there's a difference between, you know, rehabbing to, to get into um, shape and then there's, you know, there's, there's also rehab time to get your timing back. And there's a reason why spring training is four or five weeks and, and, and the regular players get a couple at-bats a day during that period. Um, and we're seeing with Revere, his timing isn't isn't on. Uh, he's, he's, he's not making a whole lot of contact. Um, and, and right now, um, much like Worth and Rendon and Espinoza, uh, just isn't really helping the offense out all that much. And it's really tough having that in the leadoff spot on top of um, on top of all the other Nets troubles hitting. I did think it was interesting, and uh, we saw all the evidence. You need to know that missing that kind of time at the beginning of the season, Dusty Baker said it this spring that you miss that month at the beginning of the season. You're playing catch-up all year, and we saw that some players like Rendon in particular didn't quite catch up all of last year with all the time he missed. But it was interesting that Baker said that he still thinks that's part of the problem for Rendon, that he basically had a lost year there, and the timing is just not there yet, so they're moving him around a little bit now to try to get him started. But Baker didn't seem too surprised. They said that Rick Shue and Jock Jones and Baker are all working with him to try to get him back to be the hitter that we all know he's going to be. And do you put much uh, – do you believe that, like that year off really could throw out off your timing that much and still be having an effect at this point? Um, yeah, sure. You know, these are guys that are, that are creatures of habit. And, um, you know, when, first of all, when, when you have injury, um, take time away from what you're doing. Um, it, it, it can't help but affect you. Uh, uh, Rendon, you know, he's, he's a, he's a different, it's a different question because obviously he got all the spring training. He's been playing all the way. Um, you would think that, that, that last year's injury and time off uh, wouldn't be affecting him as much this year. Um, but, I mean, we're talking about a guy like Jason Worth who's had multiple injuries to the same part of his body. Um, you know, we're talking about, about Ben Revere who, um, you know, who missed a significant portion right off the bat and is having to go through his quote-unquote spring training again. Um, yeah, I think it all affects him. Uh, um, you know, especially, you know, and this isn't, isn't easy to say because because he's still under contract to the Nets for a couple of years, but, um, you know, Jason Worth is going to have troubles generating power. Um, we've talked about this a lot. And, um, you know, the thing for him now, he almost has to change the type of player he is to a more uh, contact and, and even more on-base contents guy than he was even, even at the beginning of his career because, uh, you know, he just – the Nets need to figure out – how to get some sort of production out of them. A nice moment there for Daniel Murphy when he stepped up the bat for the first time, seven seasons in New York. He left on a, really a high note with his postseason performance. I guess the very end of it in the World Series wasn't exactly what you wanted, either offensively or defensively, but it wasn't an acrimonious split with the Mets. They had different plans. They have a Murphy even pointed out a young kid, Dilson Herrera, coming up and look, looking like a second baseman of the future for them. They signed Neil Walker as Drupal Cabrera for their infield to kind of fill the gap and bridge the gap until Herrera is up there and ready. Uh, so he he just needed to find a new home. I'm sure they didn't love the fact that he ended up with the Nationals, but a nice moment when he stepped in there for the first time. The New York Mets fans gave him quite an ovation. It was a, a moving little moment there. I did see Cindergaard. Uh, tweeted afterwards that he took away his friend card after Murphy got his first hit against him, but it was a nice moment to see him go back there and 
there was some question in uh, a lot of the Nats writers, including us, wondering how they were going to react to him. But nice to see how they did actually react. Yeah, you know, it, it was. They, they did a little video montage, and it was well-received before the game. And then uh, during the game, his first at-bat there, they gave him a standing ovation. And then predictably, um, as you would imagine, the, the Queens fans uh, booed him his second time up. So I, I think uh, um, everything is where it should be in the world. Um, you know, they, the Mets didn't want Murphy. They didn't offer him a contract. They let him walk. Um, there shouldn't be any acrimony um, between the, the Mets, Murphy, um, the Mets fans. I, I don't think there is. Um, I, I think you're right that going to a division rival probably um, puts a little fire underneath of it. But, I mean, it was a classy gesture um, by the Mets fans giving him a standing ovation. And I don't say that. Knowing several Mets fans personally, I don't say that very easily. I just pulling up my stats for the uh, I wrote up the divisional rivalries so far this year. The Nats are buoyed, as I put it, by a 6-0 record against the Braves, 13-9 and against the division so far. Against a Marlins team, they should be beating, uh, in my opinion, at least 5-5 five and five so far this year, 2-4 and four against the upstart Phillies, now 0-1 oh against the Mets. It's, this is going to be a tight division, and it's hard to get too excited about losses in May, but the Nationals, you, know, you want them to win these next two games and at least win the series here in City Field. I'm not panicking yet, even though I've seen a bit of that on Twitter, but it uh, would be nice to get out of here with at least one or two wins. It's going to be tough. Uh, you got well, Cologne tomorrow night against Gio Gonzalez. That's a matchup that should be in the Nationals' favor. Steven Strasburg against Matt Harvey in the finale, but... You want to see them get at least two wins, try to win this series, at least get something out of this series because they haven't been playing well against the division outside of the Braves so far. Yeah, and we, we made a big deal about this in the, in the season preview show that we did uh, um, back in March is that, that this division is going to be won with play within the division. Um, you know, the, the, the Marlins or the, the, the Braves are going to stink. Uh, we expected the Phillies to stink, and I think they're playing over right now. Um, Miami is probably a 500 team, so they're probably playing above their pay grade right now too. So, um, yeah, it's disappointing that the Nats haven't had as much success against uh, the Marlins in particular. Uh, that series against the Phillies, you know, that was one three-game series where the Nats just weren't hitting, so you you kind of wash that one away and expect them to play better. But these head-to-head matchups against the Mets are, are very important. They're going to be all season long. Um, you tip your cap to Syndergaard tonight, but but the Nets really need to jump on Cologne tomorrow night and try to start generating some offense. 7-10 tomorrow night, Gio Gonzalez versus Bartolo Cologne. Uh, I'll be in City Field undercover trying not to get into fights with Mets fans on Thursday night for the Strasburg-Harvey matchup. 23 and 16 after the loss tonight. Two more with the Mets to come. We'll talk to you tomorrow night, sir. Sounds good. Have a good night.